here we are again. And I mean that in the most significant way, not in a way that expresses boredom. Um, Oh, no, not this again. But um, I was speaking about this time, as Alexandra has said, last year in this same place at almost this same time. Some of you may have been here. I like to think that this is significant. We are a community. We are a liturgical church. And so we could say one of the things we do is celebrate passing of time by enacting the same patterns in our liturgy that Christ commanded. We celebrate communion together. Our Anglican practice is to do so using the same words over and over You will hear the same lessons tonight if you come to the Advent carol service at 4 o'clock. You will hear those same lessons tonight that you heard last year. Even when we travel elsewhere in the world, we are with the Lord as we worship in these patterns. Will and I experienced this um, in a great way last summer while praying morning prayer with our dear friends in an ancient chapel in Scotland, and I felt at home. Or another place I felt at home was in the company of uh, participants of uh, an educational cultural tour as we prayed Vespers in a gorgeous Benedictine chapel in Florence. The language of the day was Italian. The languages were Italian and Latin, but I knew enough liturgical Latin words to be praying with those brothers. And they were in Latin, I in English, and I felt part of a great company of heaven. I'm sure that each one here has experienced such things as they travel. So we pass through our days, marking time with repetitive words and actions, and they imprint a holy reality on our minds and hearts. I believe that humans were made for this. As a landscape painter, I'd like to tell you that I particularly love this time of year, and largely because of the somber nature of the light in the Northern Hemisphere as the darker days of the year approach. The light comes to the eye from very low in the sky, And that lengthening light um, creates particularly at this time of day, um, and, you know, it's a bit softer today because there's more haze in the air, but it it creates um, at this time of day, and again at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so watch for it, um, saturated color with very long shadows. Um, The trees and the buildings uh, seem to surround us in a dark cocoon. This accentuates the bright sky, but the light is coming in through the atmosphere at an angle um, that um, makes color much more intense. And if you study the trees in your own garden or when you go out today from this place, you will, I think, notice that um, the leaves have shadows around them, which really makes the the, uh, colors of the leaves stand out and the branches. Um, they're very rich, the colors, at this time of year. I mention this because this light with long shadows has long stirred me, and sometimes in my paintings, um, 
with the idea of the, the day long spent. It is as if the very earth in this northern hemisphere is reminding us that this part of the cycle of the tilting planet, the night is come. We long for Emmanuel. Now, from here on in this talk, I I'm, intend to do uh, un unravel things a little bit uh, this way. I'll speak a little bit. I'll read some excerpts from books and articles uh, that have caught my attention, and I've handed out papers. One has music, and we, I intend for us to use that music, and one has um, the collects and um, uh, a psalm and, and a written piece. And so just keep those uh, at hand, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, call you to use them. Uh, and I will punctuate things, as I said, with this little box, which will pl play music. And if time permits, um, I may even ask us to sing a hymn together. So that's why you, you have music. Um, at Advent, we stop our busyness and intentionally give time to think on the incarnation, anticipation of his coming. We strain to hear and understand the nature of our place in the cosmos as God presents himself to us in that surprising and mysterious way. He who was there at the beginning of time comes for us as a tiny child. Now, at this point, please take that the first little book booklet, which has the collect on the front. Now, you may have already prayed this today. The collect for the first Sunday in Advent. We'll pray that together. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which thy Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth, thee and the Holy Ghost, now and ever. Amen. Advent, Advent is our new year, so this collect is the first collect of the year. Um, and it's meant to be prayed each day of this season. Um, so take this home if you don't have a prayer book at home. Use this when you rise up in the morning and when you go to bed or at dinner. Um, a few years ago, Dr. Packer pointed out to us that the colics are written in a style whereby each of them is written in, a, in one single sentence. So if you look through the prayer book, you will see these great complex sentences, and they're quite wonderfully made and uh, divided up with colons and semicolons. And these phrases express artfully church doctrine, and they call us to uh, holiness of life and um, prayer for the church. Uh, this one we've just prayed expresses an idea about time, so, uh, I am going to uh, again read the first part of this complex sentence. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life, in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. What a concept. Now, this mortal life includes us as inhabiting the time that Christ came to visit us. This is that time. Now. We are there now. 
when life is mortal. We are, all of us in this room, and most of us, Dr. Packer and I were just talking about how we're all getting older, um, we are all very aware of our mortality. And we had a fabulous funeral on Friday here for Wendy Cowan, and it's very fresh to us um, that we are mortal. We are mortal with Christ, and he is born as salvation for us. We are still in that time frame. As the Collect says, now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came. Now we live in that time with him. And then this little phrase, which is like a connector phrase, that in the last day. And it is as if the writer of the Collect is saying that time is divided into different categories or parts that are all part of a continuum. Life waiting for the incarnation, then accepting our Lord and our salvation and living here in that time. And then um, there's the broader expanse of time in which we also participate, and that is eternity. And we are told the purpose of eternity in this calling, that in the last day we may rise to the life immortal through him. We wait in anticipation for the second coming, when we, we will know the Father as we are known by him. And we gaze back in time to the waiting and anticipating, to waiting and anticipating the coming of our Lord as Emmanuel, God with us. And um, this is where hopefully my technology will work. I practice it at home and I'll People who know me know that I'm clumsy, so I'll try not to lean on the podium here. This is...
So this you will likely recognize if you've been to the Advent Carol Service. It is by Palestrina, and it is the Advent Responsory. And tonight, uh, if you come, and I really hope you will, it's one of my favorite days of the year, um, tonight the candles will be lit, and we will wait in anticipation as our choir sings to begin our carol service, and then we will all respond uh, earnestly with Come, Thou Redeemer of the Earth. It's a great hymn. Um, In our tradition, the liturgy on this night is richly fulfilling. We will hear in song and hear in word read and in preaching that recurring, recurring at once ancient and contemporary telling of the story by which um, nature, uh, the nat- by the nature of the liturgy, cause that we are ca- caused to remember, not just to think on, but to participate in active remembrance. We take part as we listen to the choir while they're singing. Um, we we with them look from afar. We reenact the prophet asking for us. Um, in humility, art thou he that should come? Emmanuel, how stirring. Music can speak to deep parts of our being. The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our beloved Monya Hedgerton has passed on parts of a book uh, by Lawrence Stuckey to me um, as I was trying to plan this talk uh, called The Calendar, Christ's Time for the Church. And he speaks um, about uh, memory and remembrance in liturgy. Quote, The present is but the thin moving edge separating us from the future. To state it differently... Both the past and the future are in some sense brought into our present experience, particularly when we are at worship. The past becomes present by an active kind of remembrance, end quote. And so liturgy is an, a- an active kind of remembrance. In this book, Stuckey points to hymnody as being a vehicle to transport us into the realization of eternal time. Think of these hymns which we sing, wherein we, the singers, um, the singers become uh, people living in the present tense. Uh, And another quote, thus the liturgical observance of past events somehow brings them into our own time. If this seems to be an alien concept, A brief survey of our seasonal hymnody will reveal how familiar, if unrecognized, it actually is to us. Consider the startling abundance of present tense verbs used for past events in our hymns for Christmas. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, not who has slept. (laughs) Um, Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Good Christian men rejoice, hark the herald angels sing. Or uh, on Good Friday, um, were you there when they crucified my Lord? This present tense, tense language, says Stuckey, 
does not mean that history is cyclical. It is not that the events we refer to in the present are happening again as we sing and pray. Rather, it is the events that occurred only once nevertheless become contemporaneous with us because the risen Christ holds all time in unity and by the Holy Spirit brings all things to our remembrance in this way. End of quote. Or as another thinker, uh, Father Gerald Murphy, puts it in a blog that I read um, called The Catholic Thing, um, quote, the pagan notion of time and thus history, is an endless uh, circular repetition of events, similar to the annual cycle of the seasons. Yet this repetitive way of interpreting reality imprisons man in a pointless round. Where are we heading if there is no end and point to time? No end point to time, sorry. Just a constant replay involving a changing cast of characters who come and go. And I would say that a lot of um, people right now feel this way about time. Um, Christian revelation, of course, solves this dilemma. Creation has a beginning and an end. Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Our world and our lives come from him, and our journey through life is a quest both to walk with him at all times I am with you always to the close of the age from Matthew and to find him as our merciful judge when our days on earth come to their end, which they will, and we all know that it's coming. Um, come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepare for you, prepared for you from the foundation of the world, also from Matthew. Given this linear understanding of history, stretching from the creation to the redemption and reaching fulfillment on the last day, our place in time and space is relatively easier to figure out. We want to be in that great procession of pilgrims, which is the church. God has put us on this earth at this time of his choosing to accomplish his purposes our duty is to seek his will as we look forward to seeing him face to face, either at the moment of our death or at his second coming on the last day, if we, leave, if we live to see that day. With these thoughts in mind, let's listen to this ancient and stirring hymn, uh, which will also be sung tonight by the choir. You can tell that I'm trying to push you all coming tonight. <laughs> um, and this is probably one of the oldest hymns in Christendom, they reckon. Uh, it's from the 4th century. The tune that we know comes from the 1800s. Uh, it's a French folk tune, Picardy. But um, uh, you see, I actually may, if we have time, play some. The, the um, Orthodox Church uses this in its liturgy for Holy Communion. And uh, I may play a little bit of um, an Orthodox recording. I cast about all over the place looking for various um, recordings of this. So let me just uh, line up. I'm going to play um, a version of Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, if you find that. Um, this one comes from what probably is a great space in uh, 
by the sound of it, in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, I think they have a lot of money to have hired singers, and uh, they have uh, bells, and, the be- and uh, they have a great qu- uh, um, organ, and you can hear the sound going up into the vaults of the ceiling. And um, the thing I like is they have handbells, which click as they're being rung, and so it's, it's quite mysterious. And it has about it the... Um, this version has about it uh, something of, like Taverner's music, a great Anglican um, music composer. Um, it's got low notes of drone, and the bells actually provide the same note sitting underneath the, the uh, arrangement. And uh, I'll let you hear it. It's fairly long, um, and I will sort of turn down the music at a certain point near the end. So here we are.
I'm just going to turn that down. Um, it goes on a little bit longer. Um, a marvelous, great hymn to lift our spirits. Um, to keep us grounded in what God has for us and to help set us in place, set our feet in place and set us well to walk. Um, what I like to uh, suggest for people, especially at these finite seasons of Advent and, and then Lent, is to use lections of readings. And these come from the, the Book of Common Prayer. I just printed out 20 because... Um, I gave the same one out last year, and some people may still have it. I can hand out 20 today. If if you are not a person, like if you're like Harvey Guest and you don't have a uh, computer, and uh, therefore I can't send you one of these, I actually have a nicer version at home um, that has, um, that has uh, a, a woodcut from the uh, 15th century, I think, um, you know, so if you want to come and get one of these at the end, I will leave them on this table and you can come and grab one. Uh, it's got extensive readings, including a controversial one for us evangelical Anglicans. It's for um, the, fe- the feast of the, the uh, slaughter of the holy innocents, and it's from the Apocrypha. <laughs> so it's on the bottom. Uh, uh, but you, I think it's an appropriate reading for the day it's suggested for, but if you don't want to read it, you can pick something else. Um, that will be, will be up here at the end, and otherwise, come and give me your email address, and, and I would be happy, or I'll give you my email address, actually, and I'll be happy to send you a copy of the lectionary. Um, I would recommend this as a practice, and if you're married, um, Maybe read, there are extensive readings in the lectionary, usually about four chapters a day. Um, I find it really helpful to read to one another if you're going to pray together and to read, if you read one lesson each uh, morning and night, that's quite a helpful way to do it. And the, they're mostly lessons, um, I think from the Gospel of Mark, um, from um, Isaiah and from Revelation. So it, it, it sits us well at both ends of this time continuum. Um, so finally, I would like to read a passage which touches on um, a reality of our situation that we find ourselves in. Um, we are in difficult days, and that, that could always be said to be the case for all times in history. I don't know if you feel it. I feel that these are particularly dangerous times. Um, in our family, of course, the obvious thing of Will putting himself in the line of fire, fighting uh, the, I think, inevitable push uh, in modernity for um, allowing euthanasia and actually pushing euthanasia, um, and the obvious crisis of, of the danger, physical danger we may as Christians in North America even find ourselves uh, as our brothers in uh, other parts of the world are being slaughtered for their faith and the press doesn't seem particularly impressed by the fact that it is Christians often that this is happening to um, along with other people. But in these dangerous days I wanted to touch on that merging of suffering and deep joy uh, in in uh, knowing our Lord uh, by reading this, and that's on the readings part, um, a reading from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he wrote 
this, I think. Um, I couldn't quite tell from the, uh, the footnotes. I think it's from um, something called I Want to Spend My Days with You. And it was something that he wrote from prison to his fiancée. And, of course, he never got to marry. Uh, you know, he, he died while in prison. He was murdered. Um, so this, if you find it, is a lovely quote that focuses our attention on eternity. In the midst of the deepest guilt and distress of the people, a voice speaks that is soft and mysterious, but full of the blessed certainty of salvation through the birth of a divine child, as spoken of in Isaiah. And we will either hear this lesson from Isaiah 9 tonight or at uh, Nine Lessons and Carols. It is still 700 years until the time of fulfillment, but the prophet is so deeply immersed in God's thought and counsel that he speaks of the future as if he saw it already, and he speaks of the salvific hour as if he already stood in adoration before the manger of Jesus, for a child has been born for us. What will happen one day is already real and certain in God's eyes, and it will not only it will be not only for the salvation of future generations, but already for the prophet who sees it coming and for this generation, indeed for all generations on earth. For a child has been born for us. No human spirit can talk like this on its own. Um, sorry. Yes. How are we who do not know what will happen next year, and we're all in that situation, supposed to understand that someone can look forward many centuries and the times then were no more transparent than they are today? Only the Spirit of God who encompasses the beginning and the end of the world can in such a way reveal to a chosen person the mystery of the future so that he must prophesy for strengthening believers and warning unbelievers. This individual voice ultimately enters into the nocturnal adoration of the shepherds and into the full jubilation for the Christ-believing community. For a child has been born for us. A son is given to us. A shaking of heads, perhaps even an evil laugh, must go through our old, smart, experienced, self-assured world when it hears the call of salvation of believing Christians. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. And I wanted to um, just finish with one uh, last piece of music, which uh, you guessed it, you will also hear tonight. Um, it's a call for us to go out where, we, where we've been placed, go out into our, our time and culture without fear. Whoop. I had turned it. I'm just going to put that in. Whoop. Whoop. Oh, just a moment. Technical gl glitch. Okay. Here we go.
questions any of this um, I would take questions but also um, if you would like one of my favorite um, hymns at this time of year I put in the back here um, and we don't do it enough and it's sleepers awake and I love that call to us that we need to be wise we need to be like the wise virgins and have our lamps um, filled and uh, I did find on iTunes, and Manya will be thrilled with this, um, a website, and I think my daughter might think it's a little cheesy, is she, what she would call it, but I have found a great organ accompaniment to it. If you would like, what we could do is take questions and maybe end with singing a hymn together, and I could play uh, organ on this machine <laughs> if you would like, but I'll, I'll take the will of, of you all. Thank you. That's it. We have questions now. Yeah. Oh, when you said your your Latin was good for the liturgy, and I did a hundred those, I translated those. <laughs> you did, and you sent them to me, and it was a great help. Did that help you, or did you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it so. did. That and having been in a choir, um, because when you're in the choir, you actually. We had a funny occurrence once when when our choir was um, singing with some soloists who we'd hired, and uh, Latin can be pronounced with different, um, with different uh, accents. And um, at that time, Ed was the choir director, and he had us using the Italian pronunciation of Latin. And one of the soloists was using the German pronunciation. And so we ran into a few problems <laughs> with that translation. But yes, being in the choir, and John very kindly, a number of years ago, <laughs> Uh, when he, John was learning Latin, because he heard, uh, you may have guessed, that it was close to Portuguese. And uh, <laughs> so he, he was learning Latin, and he would send me emails. He was translating um, at the top of the, the Psalms uh, the Latin for me, and it was quite lovely. And, and, uh, I had four dictionaries. I had the Latin dictionary, 501 Latin verbs, and the ecclesiastical Latin. Yeah. I went to the Central Library, and... Yeah. Uh, I could put 40, double space, 40 uh, phrases per email, and there's 171. I just went every day after work. I go down there from 6 to 9 and take this guy train home. Have a lazy <laughs> no, 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 that's great. Thank you. Thank you, John. I went back to read my Portuguese, and it was easier after the Latin because Will was saying that when I gave Nora my Portuguese with the English translations, they were saying, oh, it's similar to Latin, you mind translating Latin? I said, okay, I don't mind. So, yeah, <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. It was a great use of your talent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this it's too big a question, and <laughs> feel free, but one of the things that I just I cherish so much is, is your contemplative approach to Advent. And if you were to give me three things that I should do this Advent season to prepare my heart, mm -hmm. other than come to this afternoon, I got that. What three things would you recommend if we wanted to have a, a more reflective Advent season? Well, first, 
the caveat that I, as my husband and family could tell you, that I am not like a still point in the universe going, you know, spinning around. I, I actually have as much trouble with some of this as, as anyone. But um, I think, you know, a lot of people in the culture get really frustrated that Christmas begins earlier and earlier at Costco, where I shop every <laughs> week. It's, it began in uh, late August. And, uh, um, you know, I think that it really, apparently, and Downton Abbey seemed to confirm this, in the old days, um, the Christmas tree, for example, wasn't decorated until Christmas Eve. And then they kept 12 days of Christmas, and those days you know, were looked at in a very serious way. So I'm not saying that you have to be like the Grinch, who, you know, sort of, you know, you don't have to say, I'm not putting any Christmas lights up or anything until Christmas Eve, but I think... Uh, having a quieter, you know, we've just put a garland in our house. Um, well, I have had it actually up for a year, but I changed the colors. Um, <laughs> I put I put new little lights in, and they're they're quiet. And I I will start adding color. It's just sort of to remind us. Uh, um, it's a, a little thing. I I do think that um, using the collect, and you know, I've thought of. Um, memorizing that collect. It is meant to be prayed every day of Advent. Um, and you could use um, a little um, a um, truncated version of these readings, maybe do all of the Isaiah and Revelations reading one year and, you know, something to kind of set your mind and heart. It is interesting, the days that I've been able to... Um, hear the lessons at Evensong and also uh, go to morning prayer at Regent. Uh, morning prayer is being prayed at Regent um, at 8.30 in the morning, most uh, weekday mornings now. And um, with our schedule, Will and I never see each other unless we see each other at that time. So I haven't been as often this year as I'd like. But it is quite interesting how in your day, if you start your day with readings and with those prayers, uh, one of the other um, things that I put on this sheet is Psalm 34. And I, I um, put that because it's a, it's a, I think it's a good psalm for times of, of trouble and sorrow. Um, I think if you sort of set aside time to, to do that, it will, it will ground you. Uh, you'll be amazed at how many times then during the day things that you've read in the morning uh, come come to your, your mind. And so it starts resetting us. Har- Harvey Guest, who I love dearly, did a, um, a startling um, homily for us at Evensong a few weeks ago. It's something I had never quite heard before. Often Harvey does that. Um, which he was talking about Jesus taking one of the little children and holding up and saying, become like this little child. And then he, he said, and you know what little children are like, something like this. I was actually in the kitchen and trying to strain to hear him as, as I was preparing dinner for Evensong after. But um, the example is what children do when asked the question, what would you like to be when you grow up, is um, you know, if they want to be a fireman or a, a knight, and they pretend. And what Harvey suggested is, so, so we should be like this. And that sounds kind of odd, but what he, he meant was, um, 
If you want to be patient and you know that you're not patient, pretend that you are patient. Uh, pretend that you are gracious. And pretty soon you will start having that um, come into your your being as you act it out. And, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective. So you might want to do that too. Start going around pretending that you are patient. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 Any other questions? Yes. Um, thank you so much, Nora. I really appreciate your contemplative approach to and the music, just gorgeous music that you played this morning. Where, um, where can we get a hold of that CD or whatever? I got it from iTunes. <laughs> so. If you would like, what you should do now, if you have pens, I'll just give everybody my email address. And I, as Will knows, check my email. The best way to get me is email. I check it about ten times a day. Um, And so it is, if everybody has, and I would be happy to send you information about any of those pieces of music or anything else, the lectionary, um, whatever you would like. So it is all small case. Nora, with an H, so N-O-R-A-H, one word, Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, at shaw.ca. And if you don't have email, come and see me afterward, and I could write that information down for you. Thanks. Yes. Hi. That's such a question, a comment. Uh You know, we're so blessed by how liturgical you are and that you share that with our community. And I, I saw that sort of more up close and personal this summer when you, when you blessed us by visiting us. <laughs> and, and you showed Martin and me uh, ways that you conduct your devotions to a certain extent, and mm-hmm. we became part of that for a while. And, you know, I, we're all so keen on physical fitness and the right nutrition yeah. and yeah. looking to different systems in our life, but what about our spiritual muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And what I found was uh, through personal devotions on a daily basis that are, that's much regimented, but uh, it's a discipline you hold yourself to because you, you want to mm-hmm. be more intimate with God. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you can strengthen that spiritual muscle in the way that you do when you're stretching or... You know, mm-hmm. or, you know that, that, that that's something that you can actually work on, mm-hmm. and, and it is a response to the yeah. body, and it, it's it's uh, it's really powerful. Um, it, it yeah, no, I I agree, and it's it's hard though because I had two lovely things that happened. One of them is but daunting when you get on fire. People who are on fire with a new realization about something are are terribly. Um, Impossible sometimes, <laughs> and so I gave this fired up talk. Oop, I don't know what I just did. Uh, I gave this fired up talk to women at ten about doing the daily office, and I could tell by the end that the poor women just felt like, oh my goodness, you know what? How am I ever going to keep that kind of discipline? And and um, uh, another experience I had thirty some years ago was being in a Bible study with one of our assistant rectors who had. Uh, three small children, and his. We had um, some of you will remember and know the beloved Kathy Nichol uh, to our Bible study one night, and she was um, a single woman, a f- dynamo. She was Mrs. Pioneer Camp, Miss Mrs. Intervarsity, and had many spiritual children and lovely, lovely woman. And uh, 
she came to our Bible study one night to talk about prayer. And the rector's, the assistant rector's wife said near tears, I don't feel that I have a chance to pray very much in the day. And Kathy looked at her and said, um, do you pray with your children when they're going to bed at night? And she said, yes. And uh, she said, I think that God knows your situation right now. And that's probably good enough. And I think there are seasons in our lives when, um, when that might be all we can do. Uh, Richard John Newhouse, um, when he almost died and was in the hospital, made the observation um, that when he was going in and out of consciousness, the only prayer that he really could pray um, was, now I lay me down to sleep. But he was aware of a great company of people praying for him and that they were lifting him up in prayer. So I think there are times in our life. Uh, I do think you're right, though, that, that exercising that spiritual muscle is important. I had a scholar from Britain tell me when I was bemoaning the fact that I was really embarrassed at the, as the then chairman of the Prayer Book Society that I could often pull off morning prayer but found evening prayer really hard to do. And um, he said, but Nora, it's meant to be done in community. It's not as easy to do by yourself. And I think that we fall short as a, as a community. Sometimes and it's bad of me to say that. Regent is doing this fabulous job of, of having uh, the ability of people to come together. But I, I think um, Ernie Eldridge in the old days had us uh, fashion ourselves in communities around postal codes. You may, if you were here in those days, you know, they, and he was walking the city praying. He and his wife were walking, praying for all the blocks in the city. And I would love to see us organize ourselves um, where we live close to one another to maybe try to get together at an agreeable time to people. I would love to have people come to my house and pray morning prayer in the morning. If You know, it, it would just take some communication. Um, or uh, to Regent. I mean, the, the chapel there is pretty small. But um, I, I think it is important, but I think much easier to do with other people. How many people attend the Regent Chapel morning prayer? Well, you know, Kyle is, is really involved with that. Did then Bill? Yeah, five or six of us, sometimes yeah. as many as eight, sometimes as few as three. All that. Yeah. I found you disconnected. Every morning. Uh, and you can park on the street, which is free. So. Yes, because at nine they start dinging you with uh, fines, but it, you, you can come, yeah. I do evening prayer. Sometimes I have a glass of brandy or glass of wine. <laughs> makes it not too much. You just sip off the side. It makes it nice and pleasant. Well, you know what? That's you know we we laugh, but the person who actually taught me how to do the daily office, having been—that's what you call doing morning and evening prayer with the electionary readings. Um, he sat me down in Kelowna, and Dr. Packer and I had gone up to a conference in, in Kelowna together. Uh, he sat me down to teach me how to do this and um, said, okay, now the first thing you do is grind your coffee beans, and then you get your cup of coffee, and you sit down to do morning prayer with your coffee. Which, you know, it, we, it, it's fine. We don't... We don't sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This has been a really great uh, introduction and start to a season that I have always enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about it is the way that it gains momentum. Yeah. You know, we start out looking for 
the future, and we finish up with the Lord is here. I know. It's so <laughs> exciting. Yes. Yeah. We actually had, had to stage things like this in my family because we have three December birthdays. Uh, and little boys do not want to have their birthday party kind yeah. of shoved aside by Christmas. Right, right. <laughs> we started with the, his birthday party, and then the decorations went up, then mine, and the tree went up, uh-huh. and then my mother-in-law's, and everything came down. Oh, yeah, so you have this funny sort of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we, um, we, did, we do the same kind of thing. Just look at the church calendar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the things that are starting to happen. Yes. Uh, yeah, and one of the points made in this book by this fellow, and I, you know, like whatever his name was back, uh, that Manya gave me the book, um, he points out, and all of this, all of us have been either to Christmas Eve uh, communion or Christmas morning, and we never sing the verse from O Come All Ye Faithful, um, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, until either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. It's not meant to be sung any... It's very specific to that day. And I don't know how you feel, but when I get to sing that, I always well up with tears. Now, if Nancy Buan were here from Vancouver Island, she would beat all of us at welling up with tears. But, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite wonderful, the, the, the build-up to that, really taking, apprehending what it is that we're talking about with the incarnation. Like, it's just amazing. <laughs> so... Yes. Alexander asked the question to how can we um, appreciate Advent more and use the season? Well, learning to use the uh, Book of Common Prayer in its, its fullness. There's yeah. Not morning, not just morning and evening. There's noon, noon time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. There's disciplines. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, was it a couple of weeks ago that we heard we had a book review? Yes, yeah. And, uh, Muslims are very disciplined. Mm-hmm. I've got at least one couple on my mail route, and they're fine people. Yes. So, they don't have the truth. And uh, the Book of Common Prayer is alive. Mm-hmm. It's the Holy Bible, it's the uh, lectionary. There's a great collect or prayer somewhere talking about those feeling after, feeling after that truth. And I think that it's helpful for us to pray for those. I mean, our, you know, I'm going to be saying this recorded, but um, you know, our son is running headlong in the other direction from the church. And the best, the most important thing, I talk about Manya a lot. She's an important person in my life. Uh, and she says... God loves them more than you do. And so I think the best thing we can do is pray that they will feel after God and, and uh, pray for them. And uh, it's very important. 